Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Today we are back with Brianna and doing the second part of our book discussion on So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronson. So we're going to continue our discussion from last week. Um, As another disclaimer, this book does have a variety of adult themes and subject matter that is not suitable for all ages. Um, We are trying our best to stay away from the specifics of those topics that are discussed for the podcast episode. And I just wanted to put that out there for anyone who's listening and interested in reading the book so you kind of have an idea of what you're getting into. Because we did not. Yes. (laughs) But I think it was all very enriching and interesting to get to learn about. So I think it was was a great read. Yes. And it's done well. Yes. Oh, yes. He's a really great um, writer, I think. So shame as a concept goes into humiliation and things in the public sphere for everyone to see that in terms of the book at least Mm -hmm. it's more public everyone can see what happens to people who are shamed what happens to the people that are doing the shaming kind of this whole saga of social media being where everything's out in the open and how things that you post have consequences yes for sure yeah and so we will go to uh, more of dehumanization in shaming. And I found it very interesting. He talks about... This. So Ronson goes into the idea of group madness, which I feel like we hear often, especially mm-hmm. during uh, protest movements and different things that have happened in society more frequent in recent years. And I found it very fascinating that it's kind of just based on this guy who is very into pseudoscience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Le Bon. Yeah. Uh, this wonderful, um, strange, strange old gentleman. Yeah, Gustave um, Le Bon. There you go. Who was from revolutionary era France. Um, well, you're, kind of, your favorite. <laughs> he's a little bit too late for me. That's but, fair. Okay, okay. But late. he is in the like more mid-1800s. Uh, okay. And he had a lot of thoughts on society and social hierarchy and very racist ideas that are very heavily based in eugenics and very uncomfortable. Yeah, not a great resource, but somehow spawned a lot of our contemporary, like, thoughts about mob mentality mm-hmm. and the way that human beings just succumb to this mob mentality when they're in groups and all of that. Just very interesting. He believed that there were inferior forms of human evolution, and that comes directly from page 94 in this book. To explain crowds, this is from page 96. To explain his theories on mob mentality, he goes... By the mere fact that he forms part of an organized crowd, a man descends several rungs in the ladder of civilization. Isolated, he may be a cultivated individual, in a crowd a barbarian, that is, a creature acting by instinct. And then, a little while later, he continues, We are impulsive, irritable, irrational characteristics, which are almost always observed in belonging to inferior forms of evolution, in women, savages, and children, for instance. Which is, <gasps> the women of this podcast don't like that. <laughs> I feel like it's just such the racism and eugenics and 
anti-feminism-ness of science in that era. Mm-hmm. Not across the board, but definitely... Pockets it, of it? Yes. <laughs> like, anthropology was starting to get its start, and that went very much in the same direction, and it it's just awful. Mm-hmm. And I just have a lot of thoughts on this. And I don't know how this became ingrained other than society just responding to this and being like, yeah, that seems right. Yeah, I think that's what we do with a lot of things like that. It's um, And he talks a bit in here about like just like how pop science, what is it, pop psychology, mm-hmm. I think they call it. Yeah, like if we hear something and it sounds about right and it's said by someone who claims that they're doing research on it, we're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. We'll take that as fact. And then Laban goes on to how to, con- how to improve on ourselves as... People, mm. He goes, we really don't need to worry ourselves about whether mass revolutionary movements like communism or feminism had a moral reason for existing. They didn't. They were just madness. <laughs> <laughs> he goes on, a smart orator could, if he knew the tricks, hypnotize the crowd into acquiescence or whip it up to do his bidding. And then Ronson goes into how people like Mussolini and Hitler flubbed this theory, which makes a lot of sense from what we know from history. Yes, it does. It's sad how this like tracks through, and then it even connects to like Zimbardo and this idea of just how we, we've developed this consciousness around the idea that human beings in groups can descend into this mob madness and insanity. Yeah, and then Ronson briefly goes into on page 98 he says that i suppose one reason for the bonds enduring success is that we tend to love nothing more than to declare other people insane Mm -hmm. and i feel like in his examples of public shaming in the book that is seen where it's not declaring people insane but it's declaring people other attributes of society that aren't necessarily deemed yeah it's interesting because it's it's an act of we're trying to point to that person and be like, ha, we're pointing, we're calling you out for what you've done. You're the you're the insane one. You're the wrong one here. Mm-hmm. But then you're forming that that unfortunate mob where you're. It's like Spider Man pointing at Spider Man. Where it's like, <laughs> wait, it's you, but no, it's me. I'm doing it to you, and it's it's yeah. just terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things where. Once you label something as something, like when she labels somebody as like racist or labels somebody as misogynistic, it's kind of a catch-all and becomes their complete identity. Yes. And then you can never escape from it. Yeah, I know. I think that, I don't remember if I wrote down his name, but there was the, the incident of the woman who took a picture of the, the guy, the man and his friend who were um, basically at a conference and just making like really weird Adria Richards. Ah, yes. And they were making these weird, crude comments. And instead of just turning around and saying, hey, I don't think that's appropriate. I don't like what you're saying. She just turned around and took a picture of them and posted it and basically like called them misogynists mm-hmm. for just making crude comments. And it was one of those situations where it's like, in this situation with... Um, so... Adria Richards um, is an example of someone who heard these guys making crude comments um, at a conference, and rather than turning around and telling them that she was uncomfortable or didn't like the comments they were making, she turned around and took a picture of them that she then posted on social media and was shaming them and calling them misogynistic and basically implying that they were were misogynists 
And this label then got attached to them. And then all these people started jumping on board and saying how horrible these guys are terrible, like, and using much worse language than I'm using now, because we do not use that kind of language here at the library. <laughs> um, and it was one of those where situations where she had basically labeled them for life. And then afterwards, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, she says she's glad. She basically said that they, de- they deserved it and that yes. she doesn't feel any remorse for the fact that one of the men, he lost his job. He was being like basically treated so terribly by people online and having his, not just his job, but his family. Like people were making horrible comments. Mm-hmm. And it was a situation that speaks to exactly what you were saying. Yeah, where it's something that you can't get it out from underneath yep. because these things stay online. And there was even the case of mm-hmm. Lindsay Stone who took the photo by the sign at Arlington National Cemetery, which admittedly was not a great... Yeah, no, that was bad. It wasn't was bad. great. It was bad. Um, but that's how her life had been defined. Yes. Since then. Yeah, and, and she worked with children with disabilities. Like, mm-hmm. she she did great work and was a great person in a lot of other ways in her life, but this had sort of completely covered that and mm-hmm. prevented her from having that other piece of her identity. Yeah. yeah, and that was where he was discussing about the Facebook privacy settings mm-hmm. where her and her friend that she was with have no idea how the photo got out of their private social media accounts. It, it, so it's something to just be very conscientious of what you're posting online. Yes, very true, very true. Because things just follow you forever. <laughs> yes, and I, I appreciate that Ronson is at least very sophisticated in trying to answer this. Like, my personal solution is just I refuse to put things on yes. the internet. Um, and I think <laughs> I like that answer because it's simple and straightforward and it means you don't have to even like psychoanalyze mm-hmm. and worry. But he tries to think about it as like, okay, well, how can we change this? How can we interact with people in a healthy way on social media mm-hmm. and avoid this public shaming? So I like that that's kind of where he's trying to get with this book. Yeah, and I think it's interesting the way he presents the differences between men who have been publicly shamed and women. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because many of the men, they go through whatever they're exposed for. And I'm going to say about 80% of them in the book, within like a few years, are just back to their everyday lives, going about their day, yeah, that sort of thing. But the vast majority of women aren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's harsher. And they tend to have a lot more... Like He talks about the difference between like when women are being shamed by this social media anonymous blob. Um, they tend to be making comments um, that threaten bodily harm to women, whereas men are threatened to lose their jobs. And that's a very different level of stakes mm-hmm. to be treating someone with. And I think it's also a commentary on society mm-hmm. as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and what do we value most in, like, what is what does it mean to be successful as a man versus woman? Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to cause you so much shame and to dock you a level like that? Yeah. Yeah, I believe it is when he's talking to Mercedes, the woman from... Oh, 4chan? Yeah, who's <laughs> very active on 4chan. And that's basically what she says is the goal with the shamings. It's like they attack men's jobs. Yep. And then they attack women personally, threaten bodily harm, that sort. Yep, exactly. And I, I just find it interesting because it's just such a portrait of society. Like throughout the entire book even. Yeah. Where these people are doing in most cases things that are awful 
but not like physically hurting others. Right. And that's, but then they have their lives and reputations completely ruined. Yes. Forever. Yeah, exactly. Like if it's different as they, as he tries to differentiate later in the book, he's like, it's different when it's a situation, like when someone like a celebrity is abusing their power and Mm -hmm. harming people and doing things that are actively hurtful to people, or even if it's not physically hurting them, but if it's something that's emotionally or psychologically Mm -hmm. really damaging to people or a group of people, that's different. And that is a situation we need to treat differently. And we Mm -hmm. can use social media for activism and social justice, but it's not social justice to treat people um, without any humanity and to sort of attack them and their lives over something that doesn't harm anyone else's life. Yeah. So Bronson also looks at ways that we can escape from shame. And one of the things that he tries is this radical honesty group. <laughs> Which Alyssa found really strange. <laughs> I, I have thoughts on the radical honesty. A gentleman named Brad Blanton, who's a psychotherapist, created this idea of radical honesty where you say however you're feeling, whenever you're feeling it to whoever you're feeling it about with no filter whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And... John Ronson goes and participates in this group. It's a whole program. They basically sit in a circle and they have them confess their deepest, darkest, most shameful secrets and then have everyone react with no filters or anything at all. Yeah. And I just, and for me, I don't know if it's my anxiety, whatever. It just sounded like the absolute worst thing of all time. Yeah. Because people would just sit there and start cursing at each other and calling names. And it just was very so not me. And I also find it interesting that anytime people talk about radical honesty, for some reason, everything immediately goes to anger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's never, the automatic is never kindness. Yeah. Well, the interesting part about that is that if you think about, okay, this is a way to sort of let out all of the things that have been keeping it pent up and have been bothering you. And at the same time, when you think about like the positive things, so Alyssa and I did talk about this a little bit, and this was one of our tidbits we discussed before. (laughs) And I was saying that I think part of the reason is that um, it's much harder to say those negative anger-based things like we're more trained as people to keep those in whereas it's more already socially acceptable to let out the positive things however that's true that for some people like that's just not in their demeanor like some people are not good at saying the positive things um and that i understand too i think that makes sense but if you think about it in a space like that saying the negative things is expected and like you got to take it as it is but if you start saying something positive it's like i love my dog more than anything yeah. in the entire world um you're probably still gonna look kind of weird and you might still feel a little bit of shame and it's interesting how that's different you know than just saying yeah. something horrible i don't know maybe it's just me and my temperament as a person <laughs> where i don't go immediately to the negative things i'm just like okay this yeah. is what's happening yeah and I just go with it. And so I don't have a lot of those negative emotions just like built up inside mm-hmm. me. And maybe that's why it's such a strange concept to me. Wow. Like if you like tell me to sit in a room with somebody and you're like, say however feeling, I'll be like, hi, I feel awkward. How are you today? <laughs> yes. Wow, that's me every day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because... The- 
the real solution here then is therapy, which is a way to cope with repressing anger. Yeah. Like if you think about it, if the healthy thing is to not retain all this anger inside of you and to let it out, there are like healthy ways to do that of like counseling and like Mm -hmm. setting. So I guess this is trying to replicate a setting where you can do that. But my fear would be that it seems like not everyone is comfortable in that. Like the one guy does want to leave. Like he's just like, I regret doing this. So it seems to me like a way of substituting like healthy coping mechanisms and learning how to handle your anger and handle those feelings and substituting it for just letting it all out and getting angry at whoever in the group is willing to talk yeah because i and i found it interesting how it seemed like the group at least how it was portrayed in the book kind of fostered those negative emotions Mm -hmm. so when they tried to get ronson to express his they just like cut him off in the middle and they're like oh we're going to lunch yep yep and he's like but one of the core things you talked about was like staying with the people who you're angry with until those feelings go away and they're like ah it's lunchtime though yeah, and it, I don't think it works that way. Like I've found in in my in my marriage that I don't think it's always good to talk through things when like and just let it all out until you're done being angry because sometimes I think you need time and space to cope with those things. I don't think you're going to make it better by just sitting there and being angry with each other and yelling at each other yeah. continuously. I think you can see that in the book. Yeah. Like because they have an email chain, I believe it is towards the end of the chapter where they talk about where different members of the group are like oh yeah i tried to do it and it just didn't work and i think if you're not in the right situation where everyone's on board with this it's not going to work yep exactly exactly so we don't uh radical honesty does not necessarily get the uh our stamp of approval (laughs) i'm sure it works wonderfully for a lot of people yes it just good for some it was something that was very outside the realm of things i would ever expect (laughs) yes exactly exactly (laughs) and then he also discusses how different types of shaming just fizzle out Mm. and it seems like society just doesn't put weight to whatever people are trying to do like the example that he gives is a sex scandal that happens with a public figure and then within a small community in new england Mm -hmm. and how in those cases it kind of just goes away because no one really puts the effort into continuing it on yeah Mm -hmm. and i found that interesting yeah the way that we shame people is very dependent on the context and the situation and i think that's an example of how social media amplifies that because Mm -hmm. when it happened in a, a very small town um it was one of those situations where i think people just kind of didn't didn't get phased as much they did it didn't blow up as far as it could have which is surprising since you'd think small town gossip but i think it gets old after a while like doing that and i think that's natural and healthy Mm -hmm. for us to you know what i mean like it's one thing to be upset and to shame someone but it's got to end at some point yeah and i think ronson discusses in here how a lot of people who do the online shaming are kind of always looking for the next person yep I imagine it gets kind of like addictive after a while yeah. of being like, look how good I'm being, look how great I'm being, that sort of a mentality and just replicating that over and over and over again. Yeah. And then it's not about the person that you're doing it to or what they did because you're yeah. doing it to all these different people. So like, mm-hmm. 
you, you make it seem like it's about something they did, but it's really you and the way you feel about wanting to shame them for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I know there was one person in the book with Justine's, was it? Oh, Justine, Justine Sacco? Sacco? Yeah. Where they, Ronson asks him, like, do you ever think about what happened to them after? And the gentleman he's talking to is like, no, there's a different thing every week. I'm mm. sure it's over by now. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, and then you forget that person's humanity when you just assume, oh, they'll be fine. And mm-hmm. and you're not thinking about how this impacts their lives. Yeah. And that goes into, towards the end of his, the book, um, he talks about companies like Metal Rabbit Media that primarily exist to help bury Google search results mm-hmm. because many people don't go past the first page. Yep. And if they do there's a drastically less likely chance that they'll go past the second page. Yeah. So they try to bury whatever shameful event or reputation harming post or image or whatever, bury it back further in uh, the Google search results. Yeah. Um, so I found that interesting. And within that, I found it very interesting how the case study that they did with this was Lindsay Stone and the photograph from Arlington National Cemetery. And he kind of touches on this idea that people have the same name, mm-hmm. but they're not the same person. Yep. So if somebody with your name does something, that impacts your impact going to job interviews and everything where people don't see your face. Yep. They don't know. Because they just assume you're the one that had all of the scandal and shaming yes. done to you. Yeah. Which I never thought of before and now it's a fear that i have (laughs) i never had to worry because my name was unusual enough there was no one like me the closest i had um growing up was a brianna scurry who was a famous soccer player and that was all i got when you tried to find someone else with my name (laughs) yeah i know there's quite a few Alyssa Loney's out there Uh i think one's like a realtor one works in antiques I don't know. I feel like that's what tends to come up. Sometimes there's like high school sports that come up. I did not play sports. <laughs> well, I hope one isn't a serial killer or something on you. No. That would be unfortunate. Ooh. No. I do know somebody, though, who had the same name as somebody who was like wanted in like three states. <gasps> oh my and gosh. They got pulled over and um, had to like go through a process of proving that they weren't the person that was wanted. Wow. Oh, that's wild. So it does happen. Jeez, Louise. I can't imagine. <laughs> <sighs> so, but I found that interesting that it, it talks about how Google's algorithm changes constantly and it likes old things and they just live on the internet forever. <laughs> yep. And that's what forever. all of this circles back to, I feel like. Yep. The internet is forever. And then he ends on this note of almost positive shaming in feedback loops, where the negative feedback loop would be the Jonas Slayer with the instant reaction live Twitter feed mm-hmm. during the apology. But he also talks about the your speed is signs that you see driving through like construction zones, how it gives you instant reaction and then you can adjust your behavior to it yeah and how that's an example of almost positive shaming yeah. where it's something that you already know but it's just being put blatantly so you and then you can choose what to do with it yeah and it's not colored in any way it's just a sign where it says speed limit 25 mm-hmm. your speed 35 and then you can do what you want with that it's not like a sign that goes you are a piece of garbage how dare you be going this speed <laughs> 
Like it just presents you with the facts and gives you the opportunity to amend what you're doing. So what were your final thoughts on the book? My final thoughts are that it was really, really good. I. I find it nice because I do like nonfiction, mm-hmm. but it, it is not as common as I'd like for me to be get like wrapped up into it that I just kind of keep going and I can't mm-hmm. stop. And I felt like I, I really hit a stride reading this where I was like, oh my gosh, this is gripping. He's just such a great writer. Um, and I really liked the way that he explored case studies and made connections um, and showed us a lot of things about ourselves and explained that like it's not a, a them problem, it's an us problem, mm-hmm. and that we, no matter what, we are a part of this problem, and we need to think about it and how we treat other people. So I thought that was really cool. And also, his name is John Ronson, it not is. Ron Johnson. I'm going to internalize it. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty much the same. It was very interesting. It was very fascinating. I feel like it was very much an image of our time currently and where we're at as a society currently because all of the concepts that he discussed is in the book and all of the examples are things that in my opinion at least could have happened like yesterday yeah and mm-hmm. it's just showing where society is in a snapshot and it's very fascinating and it's it was a good book to just make you think about your own personal interactions with the world yeah and how you view people who are in these situations and fosters a bit more empathy towards them. Yep. Even if you don't agree with what they did at all. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it was a good read. Mm -hmm. Thanks for chatting with me about it, Alyssa. Yeah, of course, and thank you. Our next official book discussion will be on the scary stories to tell in the dark. Um, Bran is taking a break from that one, um, so I will be here with Jenny who is now the assistant to the CEO that she worked in children's for many years. Mm-hmm. And since Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is a children's book, I thought that would be a great yes. segue to get her reactions of what kids think about it today. Yes, and I opted out of that because I spook easily. <laughs> <laughs> so I look forward to listening. Yes. Thank you for listening. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions, or anything at all, please feel free to email me at aloney at albright.org. That is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org. Or feel free to call the library at 570-348-3000. Thank you.